Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Seen. Not much. <laughs> I didn't answer that question. I was just saying stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, same. Yeah, back for another episode. Yeah. Back in the studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty nice studio. <laughs> it's like literally a card table. Got our folding card table here. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty nice. <laughs> but, yeah, it's going to be exciting today because we're bringing up another list episode. I didn't see your screen, <laughs> by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we like to keep these lists a little bit secret from each yeah. other. So it's kind of adds an element of uh, fun and surprise and suspense to the whole thing. <laughs> but of course, we've done our decades lists uh, in the past. Those can easily be found uh, where our podcasts are normally found. Um, and so we've done five from the 50s, six from the 60s. And so naturally, we're talking about seven from the 70s. Oh, yeah. uh, these are kind of our top seven, but not necessarily like the best seven of the decade. These are just like seven ones that we felt like recommending, as well as some of our personal favorites and things like that. Um, at least that's kind of how I structured my list. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, exactly. It's Some of them are my favorites. Some of them are just really good ones. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a couple, like, I came up with a few new rules this episode for some things to exclude so yeah. I didn't get too repetitive. Yeah, so, what were some of those new rules? So I excluded any movie that we've done a full-length episode on, so... I guess real quick, Same. that would be The Godfather, Taxi Driver, and Harold and Maude. Those were three that I've seen that I did not include because we have episodes for those, so you can also check those out on yeah. our places. True. And the way this show is organized, like these are movies that we like a lot. So like obviously we like The Godfather if we were willing to talk about it for an yeah. hour or whatever. So it's it's useless to throw it on this list um, of Yeah, it seven just takes up a movies. spot. Yeah, it does. Um, that's good. I also have that rule. Um, so obviously I don't have the Godfather, Taxi Driver, or Harold and Maude. Um, and at least for me, my list, I tried to keep it pretty diverse. We've done this before, Mm -hmm. but this time my rule was, um, I'm trying to keep it like one per genre. Ooh. Um, I thought about doing one per director, but I might do that next time because I may or may not have multiple from a certain director this time yeah that would be interesting so we'll see i mean there are some directors who were very prolific in the 70s you know that's where the bulk of their great work was done so it just kind of so happens that you know maybe a couple of them make it onto my list but i tried Mm -hmm. to keep it at least genre diverse um i don't have any documentaries on this list but i i tried to keep it pretty um spread out nice so we'll, we'll get to that as we go but yeah, that was kind of my other list or my other rule for this. Nice. List. Yeah, I didn't have, I didn't do that. I, oh, really? This uh, decade was a kind of a weak spot in my, all my decades. Probably the mm. lowest number of movies. So I did a lot of prep. We always talk about the prep. We always come up with a list, usually of ones that we want to get to. Yeah. I got to actually quite a few. I think I got to more than I did on the '60s or '50s ones. So huh. I'm feeling pretty accomplished, but. Still a little bit let down. I didn't get to a couple ones, but nice. it was good. I, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, maybe even if I watch something new, it might not beat out something I've seen before or 
things yeah. like that. So yeah. I'm pretty happy with where my list is at, but it is only a reflection of where I am right now, and I'm sure it's going to change. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say the same, you know. Um, I lost my train of thought, but, yeah, like, whatever you just said, I agree mm-hmm. with, and... Uh, <laughs> um, it definitely is subject to change and yeah like films tend to need to age so if i watched something yesterday as much as i like it it probably won't beat out something i watched when i was like six and i've right. seen a dozen times since then uh, so yeah um as far for as sure. as far as the setup for the episode as a whole goes i think we're pretty near it so yeah we'll probably get on started uh, the 70s are a pretty great decade. We've talked about it a lot. Totally. I, I'm a big fan of the 70s, especially American cinema during that time and just this landscape of Hollywood. Uh, but also there's a lot of other things going on. You know, the, the foreign the foreign game is doing pretty well. Um, just worldwide cinema as a whole is really booming at this time, I think. There's a lot of great movies. Um, you mentioned how it was kind of a weak point for you in terms of, like, number of films that you've seen from mm-hmm. this decade. This was one of the bigger ones i think this was probably the most out of the three wow. decades we've done i've probably seen the most from the 70s versus the 60s but uh i did way more prep on the 60s list than i did for this like i only got around to a handful yeah you mostly did rewatches for this one yeah kind of stuff you'd seen earlier revisiting seeing if it would make it yeah i saw a few again which was really good actually this kind of these lists give me an excuse to go back it's and true rewatch stuff because i i usually don't that often but yeah sweet um just real fast before we get started uh for those of you playing along we are going to we kind of teased that we're going to tease so we're going to kind of set up the movie give some hints see if you can guess those along the way and we'll kind of <laughs> make that kind of fun so we don't know each other's lists if we didn't say that already and I'm excited to see what you picked and excited to talk about what I picked. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and kick it off, okay. man. Uh, what's think... your first one? All right, yeah, I'm going to get started here. All right, so this one is sweet and full of childlike wonder. It's not a perfect movie upon analysis, I imagine, but a great one nonetheless. I don't really care to disguise it too much more. Uh, you may already know. But I almost forgot I'd even seen this the way I was sorting on Letterboxd, and I think it really does deserve a place on my list. It's so nostalgic for me when I see clips or even stills. I can remember watching it on a small VHS TV. It's just like, takes me back every time I see any part of it, hear any music from it. it just takes me right back. Uh, it's pure eye candy, and but it's, but it's also mixed in with some pretty sketchy OSHA violations. Ah. So, this is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971. Uh, it's from the United States, and it's directed by Mel Stewart. Sweet. So, yeah, I don't have too much more to say. This was kind of a last, kind of, one of the, la- well, the last one I added on here as my number seven, technically. I mean, these aren't in any particular order. Uh, yeah, I almost forgot about it, but I realized that I just had such a strong, nostalgic connection. I love this movie. And it's also the prequel to Snowpiercer, so... (laughs) It's the prequel to a lot of things, (laughs) or the sequel to some things, like Home Alone. Yeah, that's Uh, true. (laughs) Maybe that kid grows up to be a crazy candy store factory owner, or Mm -hmm. whatever. But, I agree. Um, I, as well, watched this on VHS as a kid. I have a lot of fond memories with it. Um, Gene Wilder is really great in this. 
just his timing of line deliveries is so great. I think that gets overlooked with this kind of a movie because, like you said, it's a little bit uh, more childlike, I suppose, Um, a little bit more for the kiddos. But um, I really liked it as a kid, and I think it still holds up Mm -hmm. as far as, like, you know, watching it nowadays. Um, But, yeah, good pick. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. All right, what's your first one? Okay. I'm going to try and pick a good one. Um, All right, I'll probably just get this one out of the way. (laughs) Okay. This is another, like, like your first one. I didn't really try too hard to disguise it, um, but it's kind of, you know, it's not really that easy to talk about without bringing up some of the things that I like so much about it. Um, so I'll just kick it right off and say, uh, if there's one little subgenre I really like, it's the Vietnam War movies. Mm. <laughs> I just think that that war and the culture surrounding it are so interesting from a historical standpoint. Um, and they also allow for some great stories to be told about humanity and our innermost struggles. Uh, this film is ostensibly a road trip movie with a character that has a destination and a struggle at that destination that they have to overcome. Um, but underneath, it's a movie about a man's struggle against himself. What makes a person crazy? Who makes the rules and why? What does it mean to break those rules, especially when they seem so arbitrary and paradoxical? Um, this is a thinly veiled setup to Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now from 1979. Uh, but I don't really care because there's no other way to set up this film, like I said. Uh, it works on so many levels, features iconic and lasting performances from its three leads. Uh, Martin Sheen is great, and I love him, I love his work, and Brando is Brando, um, but I think that Robert Duvall as Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore steals the show. Um, He's so interesting to watch on screen and really catalyzes the struggle Sheen's Captain Willard undergoes. Uh, Bro, I know you've seen this. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm not going to reveal if this is on my list or not, so you'll find out possibly later or not. Cool. Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed this one actually quite a bit. It's... um very good it was long but i was well uh invested i wasn't bored at any moment and a lot of the times i felt like i was really there with the characters and yeah there's lots of layers and themes going on that i really enjoy so yeah it's Um, a really good one we watched this uh shortly after we watched agira the wrath of god from Werner herzog they're very similar movies, and as I was watching Agira, I remembered, oh yeah, Apocalypse Now is pretty similar to this. Um, so I had a greater desire to watch that movie or rewatch it. And I think it's it's a little bit more complex than that movie, um, but they're kind of vying for different things. Um, Agira is obviously going after the the more like inner um, craziness and just man versus nature kind of thing, uh, being on the right. river and you know all these themes of like colonialism and stuff like that being you know spanish conquistadors um and this movie obviously set during the vietnam war uh, it's based on a book and you know it's it's more about you know like i said like the rules and the laws and kind of the nature of war and how america handled that war and a lot of the questions and comments um, about that war and the way it was handled Um, Obviously, the production was absolutely bananas, and I think the movie still stands up, even though there are some glitches here and there in the narrative or just continuity, Um, and Brando has way less screen time just because he was so difficult to work with, but (laughs) 
Um, I really think it holds up. It's really good, really complex. There's a lot of questions and themes that you can dig into in multiple rewatches. And so, yeah, but I would say that first act is really uh, where it hooked me just with all that um, Kilgore stuff with the surfing and all that. It's it, There's yeah. a lot of humor in it as well. So, yeah, if you haven't heard of Apocalypse Now or seen it by now, then that's a big blind spot for check you. So check it out. Awesome. Oh, sorry. Okay. I also remembered another rule that I had, Okay. which was obviously my first pick is a very well-known, very highly praised movie from the 70s, but I tried to give a little bit more precedence to movies that were overlooked, underrated sort of thing. So there were there are some on my list that will come up that may not be like, you know, the big like Apocalypse Now is like one of those 70s movies that everyone knows about. Exactly. So I tried to I considered that for sure. I tried to give it a made little its bit way of, in. tried to give a little bit of uh, extra bonus points to the mm-hmm. the movies that often and get overlooked. Underdogs. Yeah, the underdogs. Cool. I love Apocalypse Now. It's a good one. Nice. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to go for Okay, I've got the one. Okay, <clears throat> this one's a real stomach nodder, if you would. It takes place over one night. It's some dudes in a real bad situation, and it's uh, carried by not one, but two great performances. One's manic and insane, and the other sometimes manic, but I think he's really a warm and kind dude. It's about friendship, selfishness, ego, and also life and death. No, it's not good time. That did not come out in the 70s. <laughs> Wait... Hang on. It's yeah, it's a couple years later. But they're very similar. And yeah. the Safety brothers actually um referenced this one on their Adventures in Movie Going on the Criterion channel. So this is Mikey and Nikki from nineteen seventy six. Um it's from the United States, directed by Elaine May. Yeah. So I I'm pretty sure you haven't seen this, but I have not. But I knew exactly what you were talking about right away. Yeah. Because uh, I know you really liked this movie when you watched it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to give anything like away for maybe if you had some other thoughts about the movie. But I know you watched this in prep for like Adam Savage's live stream yeah, or something. Yeah, he never it. even... It was for his podcast and they never talked about it because he forgot. <laughs> I watched the movie. The own host of the show didn't even watch. Wow. I'm kind of let down. I'm so you're, bad. You're better than him now. I know. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> cool but yeah, anyways it's it's on my list not super high up on my list but it's there yeah it's really good it's a good uh gritty philadelphia gangster type movie and i loved how it take, took place over one night uh that was really fun and it's cassavetes and john cassavetes and peter falk and those mm. two are the two um, performances that are just fantastic they complement and play off each other so well they're not too they don't too much fight for screen time they're pretty equally balanced and like i said just really play off one one i don't even know what they play off each other really well (laughs) yeah so i love that it's definitely the highlight of the movie is those two just just going ham just you know it's great yeah cassavetti's really good i haven't seen any of his director yeah me neither um but he does play a really key role in rosemary's baby one of my picks from the 60s um which I actually happened to like overlook his performance in that and his role was it's really critical to that movie as Rosemary's husband um, John Cassavetes plays so yeah nice. uh, good pick yeah and he's a great actor and probably a great director I've heard his movies are fantastic so yeah gotta check those out for sure um, sick check out Mikey and Nikki it's good cool 
All right, I think my next one, I know what it's going to be. As a little bit of, uh, you know, diversity comes into play, I wanted to throw okay. in uh, this one. So the setup uh, will probably not disguise the name of the film for you, bro, so mm. it might be easier to guess okay. as I describe my thoughts. Um, I was extremely daunted by this film, not only because of its runtime, but because of what it is about. I've heard it described as patient, which I think is fitting. The director is defying everything that has been taught about writing interesting narrative, um, has been taught about writing interesting narrative, but they prove that it is just as interesting to watch the mundanity of life as it is to see bigger and louder things happen. The fact that it is so slowly paced, I think, adds to the depth at which one can get lost into this world. It mesmerized and entranced me from the beginning. It has also given me much food for thought as to how I think about films and how I approach storytelling as a whole, and I'm so glad that I've seen it. Um, it's If it's not obvious by now, the film is Jean Dielman, 23, Quai du Commerce, 1080, Bruxelles, by Chantal Ackerman. <laughs> I pronounced Quite that horribly, probably. Yeah, it's a long title, uh, and I butchered it, but it's by Chantal Ackerman. Uh, this came out in 1975, and I've just been thinking about it since I saw it last week uh, for the first time, so... I don't know what you know about it if you've seen it, but uh... I I haven't seen it and I really don't know anything about it. Cool. I know it's long. I know you've seen it and I know you liked it. So yeah, it's that's probably, probably I, enough. That's probably enough for me to watch it. But <laughs> just those three things. But yeah, go ahead with anything else. I that's all I have to say. That's kind of it. I mean, it just, I mean, it spends at least five minutes on like every plot beat, <laughs> and the plot beats are like very very mundane things. Like she spends at least five minutes just needing some ground beef like to make a meatloaf or something and you just watch her do that for minutes on end and it kind of reminded me of a ghost story there's a scene mm. where she's eating a pie and it's like about five minutes of a scene and a lot of people complained about like how long that was and oh my goodness like how who could sit through this it's so boring yeah, you probably shouldn't watch this movie if you feel that way about a ghost <laughs> story because this is way more patient way less interesting i guess but it, it's way interesting just because uh like i said it over or it, it covers a lot of the things that get overlooked in traditional narrative storytelling um where we don't want to see the characters making dinner like four times she makes dinner <laughs> like three times in the movie that's awesome or sh shining someone's shoes or just doing all these random daily tasks that uh are pretty boring in normal movies like let's get to the action of the plot but here that is the plot that's the whole point and that's why it's so interesting to watch it because it's so unique it's so creative and as little tiny bits of detail come out over the course of this three and a half hour movie <laughs> it uh you really get a sense of like why she's doing what she's doing and it starts to bring up a lot of questions about just life and you know, time and all that, which is really cool the way that Ackerman structured this movie. So yeah. it's reminding me of something, but I don't know what it, it might be uh, like Edward Yang. Just I know we've talked about Yi, but mm -hmm. A Brighter Summer Day, just really slow, very thoughtful. It holds things for a long time and just and like Tarkovsky, too. Um, yeah, just holds on shots and is willing to not make the cuts and just show things play out in real time. Which is, yeah. that's, like, it's in, it's definitely interesting. That's true. And I don't know much about Ackerman's other work, 
Um, but this movie, it probably would be a good blend between, say, Andrei Tarkovsky and Edward Yang. Mm. Um, it's not as abstract as Tarkovsky, and it's more grounded in like actual reality, like real things happen. Um, but less happens than in an Edward Yang movie like mm. E, where you know less there's, all, there's all these characters and there's all these storylines and threads going on and like there's a lot like the pace is really high even though some of the shots seem slow uh-huh. but this movie That's is true. just slow like it's two or three days and it's pretty much every like everything that is done during those two or three days almost in real time uh obviously not because that's like 72 hours worth of film Dude, that but, would be really cool <laughs> but that would be the ultimate like if you're trying to be super strict or whatever on your filmmaking is literally make a movie that's real time like that i feel like somebody i feel like there's got to be some director that's crazy enough to do something like that yeah just make a 72 hour movie that takes place over three days like that'd be crazy that would be totally insane even this is pretty long but i would say if anyone's interested in watching this or has heard about it and it's just too daunting to check out it's definitely it'll keep your attention for that three and a half hours uh, but I would highly recommend watching it in one sitting. I watched it on the Saturday like afternoon, I think, or evening, uh, or Friday evening, one of the two. But it was yeah. it was uh, in one sitting. Yeah, I got up for a break every now and then just because I, I get restless. We should do an episode about strategies for long movies. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on that for yeah. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I like to put it on like a Saturday morning. That's kind of my go-to time for a long I movie. I think I found that most long movies are better in one sitting it's it's yeah. hard to do you definitely have to set aside that chunk of time but all the ones i have just done it it's been a better experience than the ones that i've split up oddly enough like i don't know if that's there's no way of telling if that's actually the movie or like there's other factors but it's yeah. been a big play yeah and, and it tends to be like those longer movies that you consider like the greatest experiences because yeah. you're it's with those epics. characters for so long and you're watching so many things happen and change uh, even this True. movie has not a lot happens. It, it's pretty crazy. Not gonna lie, there's some stuff that happens in the movie that takes you by surprise, and yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So sweet. I like this movie. Gene Dealman for short. So <laughs> check it out. Sweet. Okay, my next pick is fun. It's cute. <laughs> it's amazing. But. Nightmarish crazy madness on film. You probably know what I'm talking about. It's truly oh, one of a kind. I think I do know now. Yeah. It's ah, the director used virtually every single visual effect <laughs> known to mankind. Early green screening, like rotoscoping, animation, stop motion. Everything's going on from severed limbs to people's faces catching on fire. It's just truly insane. One of the craziest movies I've ever seen. And the experience. While I didn't think it held up as well upon rewatch, I thought it was a little bit of a gimmick at first, but I think it does hold up to rewatching, um, if not just for the crazy visuals. There's other things going on underneath the surface that are really interesting, and it's a really well-made film. For anyone that is in, um, sorry, for anyone that watches Criterion movies, this is already a <laughs> no-brainer. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most well-known Criterion movies, possibly, among, like, Criterion. Like, you know, it's one of the first ones you hear about when you get into Criterion. Anyways, this is House from 1977 from Japan. 
directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Hausa. <laughs> yes, that is the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. bro. We rewatched this and yeah, like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. What are your initial? I mean, I don't know if you got this on your list, so I just give me some thoughts. It. I won't spoil it, but I'll give you a give brief me some little... thoughts. Uh, really cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Super trippy. I I love the trippy movies, like oh, the yeah. weird, crazy stuff that happens in movies. Um, and this one certainly fits the bill. Uh, yeah, like you said, everything under the sun is happening. Um, just layered too, just like yeah. there's like ten things layered, and it's like how did they do, do like yeah? And in, in one of the first scenes, there's two pieces of music being played on top of each yeah. other at the same. It's so weird, and then the camera's doing crazy stuff. Yeah, zooms and little details that zoom into like uh. a circle or like a bubble, and the characters. They get off a bus and they're standing in front of a painted backdrop that's in front of a giant painted backdrop, and it's like why? But yeah. the guy, he he was a very pop sort of director. I think he came off of commercials and yeah, something uh, music videos and stuff like that. And they got him to do this, and he just went bonkers, man. Yeah, <laughs> and this movie's crazy. It's super fun to watch. It's funny. Uh, but definitely, like, watch it with other people, I think. like Late at night. Show it to your friends at night and just, like, have fun with it. It's super weird, and you could make fun of it or think that it's not that good. But, like, it's pretty awesome either way. Yeah. And we were talking, like, some of the scenes, there's no way that you could just, like, it's not hot gar- It's not hot, hot garbage. Like, yeah. If you try, like, if you, you couldn't try to make this. Yeah. Like, you couldn't just throw a bunch of pieces of film together and this would be the output. You have to deliberately know what you're doing when you're shooting. Or maybe you have to try to make this. You can't just accidentally make this. That's that's what I meant to say. Yeah. You can't just, like, it doesn't just happen. Like, this is deliberate. That's what makes it so interesting. That's what's so cool. It's like, how did he come up with this? Or how did he do that? Or both are all, it's like, oh, yeah. it's mind-boggling. And, and how did the actresses, like sign on for this i know there's they had to have known what's gonna happen like i talked about this before like okay you're gonna have green screen from your neck to your toes and you're gonna like bend over and like bite this other girl on the behind like that's what's gonna <laughs> happen uh and it's like this weird horror movie but it's also making fun of horror movies uh just, there's so much going on yeah and it's cool actually to watch it rewatch it because you can pick up on other things Exactly. The first time I was just so overwhelmed. Like everything was just hitting my brain and my eyes. And I was like, whoa, this is like 10 layers of effects and crazy music. And I don't even know what's going on. And then second time that kind of wore off. And I thought like, ah, oh, maybe it's not as good, but it still is really great. It holds up. Yeah, and speaking of music, if you've seen the movie, you know the song that we're uh, talking it's about. Like in my head right now. We might be able to add in a clip. But if not, uh, just look it up. Song from House. This is from Japan, by just the way. Don't I don't know if it was mentioned. I said, yeah, I said Japan. Cool. Just don't read. I mean, we kind of talked about it a, a bit, but we haven't really given anything away. Like, really, we just explained what it's like, the experience. Yeah. But definitely go in cold. Like, there's some crazy stuff that happens. It's pretty epic. Yep. Cool. Sweet. Good pick. Good pick. All right. I think I know what I'm going to do next. Okay. It, it fits in a little bit with yours. Right? Okay. Wow. All right. And it's it's house from <laughs> wow could be no um is this film a horror film you could make the case for that is it a comedy you could make a case for that too mm. musical yep absurdist and trippy B 
species fit, but of all the genres this film could fit into, it has surely left an imprint on me as a seminal film in my youth. There are parts that I would literally fast forward past when I was a kid, uh, but now I think those parts hold up and help to make the film more than the sum of its parts. At the same time, I remember being frightened, enraptured, and in total awe, and still am, with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate oh, Factory. Nice. Made in 1971. Bro, this was on your list, yeah. so don't need to go a little bit uh, further than that, but... And my question was going to be, do you remember it as fondly as I do? Or like many films for you, is it due for a revisit? Yeah, it's, I didn't mention it, but it is due for a revisit. The reason why I almost forgot about it is because I haven't actually logged it. Like I haven't, I haven't, I've just said that I've watched it on Letterboxd, you know? And uh, so it's not even in my diary. So that means I haven't watched it in over a year. So it's due for a revisit. But like I said, I hold lots of great childhood memories from that movie. Yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, you grew up on it like I did and our older brother did, but good stuff, man. I think I did. I think I did. And if if you've seen the movie, you might know what I'm talking about, but like the Cheer Up Charlie song, oh. we would literally skip past that every time because it bored us to tears and we would always laugh at it, how cheesy yeah, that it was. song's awful. But recently I listened to the soundtrack on Spotify and that song is not bad and it actually does kind of help push okay. the themes along of the okay. movie. You know, Charlie's inner struggle and all that good stuff. Um, but at the same time, there's, like, total horror elements to the movie. Yeah, dude, there's... Um, that boat yeah. ride through the tunnels is sketchy. Even, like, the guy at the beginning, I think he's, like, some kind of weapon, like a blacksmith or some kind of weapon salesman or something. I don't he's got, know. like, I knives like, and swords hanging I thought it was his... just brooms, but I don't know. I haven't looked at it too closely. But I don't know, but he's creepy. He's sketchy. And I he's remember like, being scared. He of him. talks about how nobody ever goes in, nobody ever comes out. It's very ominous. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then there's the scene with the fan, with the fizzy lifting drink. Yeah. And that's pretty intense. But then there's other elements, like when they're in that giant candy room, and Willy Wonka is off singing his own song about, you know, if you want to view paradise, take a look around and view it. Like, it's so beautiful, and it's so touching, and it's peaceful and just it's great and how can all these elements fit into one movie i don't know um mm. but it works super well and yeah i love it holds up it's way better than that stupid remake they did later yeah that was tim burton or i, I liked that Johnny as a Depp. kid i liked Johnny it as Depp. a kid but i definitely uh don't think it's as good as the original yeah i see the value in the original now i always thought the other one was pretty great but you know not nearly as good yeah, but anyway. I'm glad that you included this because not yeah. sure if I did it full justice on my, <laughs> on my uh, explanations and stuff. But now no, that we've got good. to talk about it some more, it's good to get some other aspects of the movie. Yeah, it was so, good. I really good. do like this movie, and this was kind of one that I was holding secret from you. I would never bring nice. it up. Like, yeah, I never heard you. Talk I knew about this was gonna be on my list from like day one. That's awesome. I said I like. Of course, this isn't one that's constantly talked about from the '70s. It's a true '70s gem, though. It's it really is, um, and it's become one of the best memes or most yeah. prolific memes of all time. So no, and if you've seen this, uh, the vi- and if you've also seen Snowpiercer, which we've both talked about before, there's a really really convincing theory that uh, Snowpiercer is the sequel. I I fully believe it. Like I think <laughs> it totally makes sense. It makes sense. I don't think it was intentional, though. But it's... Uh, no, I, I, okay, yeah, probably not, but it's really There's convincing. a lot of weird details that add up. Though. It's one of the most convincing fan like theories that I've heard. I mean, yeah. some of some theories out there are like, okay, that's kind of half-baked, but this one is really well thought out. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Next Sick. one for you. 
Okay, I'm gonna mix it up a bit. So this is one of the freshest science fiction films, even though it's um, 40 years old now, or 50, is it 50, 30, 50, 50 years since the 70s. Yeah, somewhere between 40 and 50 if it came out in 79. Exactly. Like 39 or 49. Um, that I've ever seen to date. It follows an intriguing group of characters and their trials. I really can't contain my excitement about revealing this one. Of course, it is Stalker, 1979 ah. from the Soviet Union. Directed by none other than Andrei Tarkovsky. Yes. Ah, okay. This film leaves you with raised questions, left and right, and unique feelings. Stalker is a true masterpiece of cinema. I think it's probably one of the best movies ever made, and probably a perfect movie. It's just amazing. From superb camera movements to otherworldly sound design and beautifully dilapidated landscapes, uh, albeit maybe cancer-inducing as well, <laughs> um, it's a real visceral treat, and I still remember when I watched it. Uh, it's got so many great themes going on about desire, religion, human nature, but so many other meanings that I've yet to discover. And when I wasn't being super puzzled by it, I was in pure awe. And since then, I've just really thought of Tarkovsky as a genius. Just everything, I knew that everything that I was seeing was done by someone who knew what they were doing. And, and I watched Mirror as well. That didn't make my list. It would be an honorable mention from 75, I think, and I watched Mirror first, and then I watched Stalker, and Mirror, while really good, it's way too abstract for me, like, I don't really understand Stalker, but in Mirror, I was kind of just like, whoa, but both of them just so amazing, and Stalker was my main favorite, and it won out for the list, but uh, uh, give me some thoughts on this, regardless Sweet. if you've seen it, or, or, I know you've seen it, but regardless if it's on your list or not. Yeah, so... But I will say that when you described it as a sci-fi movie, it totally took me by surprise because, like, for some reason, I just don't think of it as a sci-fi movie. I don't know why. It's just, it's in it's that... disguise. It's in that category of, like, doesn't have a genre of movies. Like, it, it just exists. It's, yeah, it's very ambiguously not really a genre. But you know, the only genre that's closely defined, I think, is sci-fi. I think that's it definitely, the best. I think it definitely is sci-fi, just in my mind. Yeah, I know what you mean. For some reason, like, if... Again, for all of you, if you've seen this film, you kind of know what we're talking about. But it's like uh, it's just so out there that it feels really grounded in reality for some reason. I think it's that movie on its own that we were talking about, like the sound design and everything. Like it's yeah. just again another movie with long shots, and it's a long movie. It's, it's a long almost three hours, like two hour forty minutes, something around there. Something it's like pretty that. long. Good, it's a good and I watched it in one sitting, which that's one of the experiences I remember was I think just I sitting too. through that whole thing, and I've heard it talked about by critics much smarter than me that uh, Tarkovsky uses those moments of boredom once it's long enough. Once, right when you get bored, something changes, and then yeah. it's like, what the? And then you almost miss it, and you have to go back. Like, yeah. And it's multiple times through the movie he does that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it's similar with Chantel Ackerman with Van Gilman. Like, he uses the Like I was saying, there was this five-minute scene of them meeting me in Van Gilman, and as a couple of minutes go by, you almost, like, have this out-of-body nostalgic experience yeah. where you're, like, you start perceiving yourself watching the film almost feels like a, as yeah, I'm describing this, it seems like a crazy about. drug trip that I went on, but it's, like, a different experience to where nothing new 
just happened to be my case. So you kind of have a chance to detach yourself from it and you kind of see the bigger picture of not only you as a human, but similar as Scott was yeah. saying. It's uh, one of those that I think the length of time allows you to find your own kind of like rest a little more and you can start to kind of cover some of that ground, especially as you get older. Yeah. Um, we'll go give a quick kind of lot of stuff is not really outside of the company's diet or its own mission out there and it follows this guy called this doctor and he takes over whatever clinical club it is and into the gym and they 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 definitely need some here because the room will give you your peak rest and that's kind of the whole point of the movie and you kind of get the feeling you're kind of I don't want to use these words but the hockey movies are all about the game they're all about Stalker has a, a a real destination to get to. It just really takes its time on the journey and is where most of the movie is focused. But once they, you know, get farther along their their um their journey, it's really a lot of things you start like I said, raised questions and uh, you know, really interesting stuff. So it's a very, very fascinating movie. Um I I sometimes underlook it or overlook it. Overlook it. So this one is from a director that I really love. Mm. Um, when I brought this film up to my high school psychology teacher, she looked at me funny and said, that movie is messed up. <laughs> I've seen it a few times since and then, uh, a few times since then, and I can't necessarily agree. Um, yes, some messed up things do happen, but ultimately I find it extremely funny and thought-provoking. I'm not sure how well this holds up against the other great work this director has achieved, but I think it's my favorite. Uh, both of us have brought this director up in past lists, and I think we will bring them up again in future lists. Uh, without further ado, for your consideration, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange from 1971. Yes. Cool. Uh, bro, have you seen this? What do you think? I haven't. What do you know? I don't know a lot. I know it's pretty messed up, but I guess if you're, you know, anyways... If you're debating that, uh, it's, I mean, I haven't seen maybe about half of Kubrick's movies and this is in there. So, I mean, we watched Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Honorable mention, spoiler, probably for me, maybe not for you, but, uh, yeah, Kubrick's fantastic. I have high expectations for this one and especially knowing how much you like it. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, take it away. Yeah. It's just the one that I go back to the most. It's the one that I remember the most. I guess you could put The Shining up there, and then I I would say my top three would be that. This, The Shining, in 2001. Um, I think those are, you know, his greatest achievements in film. Of course, I haven't seen all of his work, um, but his, like, my least favorite movie by him is that I've seen is probably Barry Lyndon, and that's a beautiful masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, at least technically. I don't think the story is that good, but... It's amazingly beautiful to watch, and the music is great and stuff. Um, but this movie just, 
I like the themes of it. I like the jargon that they use to speak. I think the author of the book um, that this movie was based on, he created this lingo based on like Cockney slang and Russian. Weird. And it's this weird... He actually included like a dictionary in the back of the book so you could look up what the words That's mean. That's sweet. Um, because they're always saying weird things. And yeah, um, a little bit of a synopsis. This kid, Alex, he and his droogs, he calls them, um, they go out for some of the old ultraviolence where they just commit crimes and mess with people. Um, and he eventually like gets taken on this journey uh, where he gets caught up in the world of um, mental manipulation, I'll say, just to kind of hint at things. Um, and it kind of poses a lot of questions about society and about the way that our systems work and the morality of a lot of things. So I really, really like it. Stars Malcolm McDowell mm-hmm. as Alex DeLarge. And uh, it's really good. The music... Every time I think of like a Stanley Kubrick movie or music from a Stanley Kubrick movie, that song comes into my mind. It's this weird techno synth. It's kind of haunting. Uh, it's really a weird song, and I really, really like it. Um, it's kind of the precursor to some of the songs or some of the music that you hear in The Shining, which was mm. Kubrick's next film after this. But A Clockwork Orange. Sweet. Great movie. Nice Love it. pick. Okay. <clears throat> my next one is long but gripping from beginning to end (laughs) this massive achievement of filmmaking was awesome to watch (laughs) all i have to say is the word vietnam (laughs) oh (laughs) and we've already talked about this on your list but i loved the themes of madness horror atrocities of war sacrifice and slaying of one's own demons and they're all perfectly set on the stage of Vietnam, which provides a great, uh, another great layer of context and uh, commentary. It's a sweeping epic with an insanely high production value that makes uh, the viewer feel there and cinematography that haunts. I think it is a better film than Aguirre the Wrath of God, honestly. And uh, this is Apocalypse Now, of course. Cool. We've talked about previously. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of said some stuff on yours, and I think the rest of the stuff I said with mine, so we don't have to talk too much about it, but... True. Although I will dispute that it's better than Nagira because yeah. they're different movies and they're going for different things. Uh, I guess. So it's it's fine to not compare them, but... Um, True. I like this one more. I think it's more enjoyable. Uh, and yeah, when you said Slaying of Your Own Demons, it reminded me of the Labyrinth uh, mythology... Mm and slaying the minotaur and it's possible that um captain willard did not leave a string of yarn behind him when he went into the labyrinth uh so yeah that's another interesting layer to it that you could think about when you compare to you know old literature and stuff like that yeah it's good stuff yeah sweet cool 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 all right how many do i have left three i have two i have three left because oh, yeah, this you, is my because i went first yeah okay okay um i'll throw out another one that is a little bit underrated i think so of all okay. the great films of the 70s that i have seen and could include on this list i felt strongly that i needed to include this film it may not be the most talked about well beloved or even memorable films of the decade 
but it deserves to be highlighted because of the way the director handles the subject matter and simply how it captures this era. For me, this film's this film is the director's best so far. And when I say best so far, I mean as of 1974 when this film came out. It captures so many elements of a screwball comedy while never forfeiting the heavy and serious themes. It has fairly standard camera work in stark contrast to the two other films prior. It's such a leap for this director, which is another big reason for its inclusion. And they haven't really gone back to this well since, maybe only one other time. In any case, I love this film and I want more people to go check it out, especially if they like his other work, uh, his other pictures. And yes, I say his because this director is Martin Scorsese. Oh. And the film is Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore. Dude, that, I didn't expect that, actually. I think I know what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think I, I yeah. But, you cool. What do you know about this movie? I don't Dude, think you've I, seen it. No, I haven't, and I don't really know much, because I know when you were, you were doing your Scorsese deep dive, you mentioned this, I think, on the podcast, but I don't remember much about <laughs> it. You talked about it briefly, so. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I have to say cool <laughs> it's a great movie uh stars ellen burston one of the best actresses of the 70s uh or of all time if you want to go there um, since you know she had a great great performance in requiem for a dream which was like oh nine or something like it's really recent um but yeah it's uh it's a great movie it's very simple you know in, in comparison to like mean streets and boxcar bertha this movie is so different it's very light it's very happy and funny. Uh, I, I kind of hinted that there was maybe another time that Martin Scorsese has gone the light and comedic route, and I think that's Hugo. Yeah. But it's been so long since I've seen it. I, I really, love Hugo. I don't that's really so know. Good. But anyway, like, he never went back to this style of movie. Like, after this, he did New York, New York, and The King of Comedy, and a bunch of other movies that are a little bit overlooked, and then obviously Goodfellas and... Last year, The Irishman. Taxi so, Driver. Yeah, he went to Taxi... That was... Uh, oh, yeah, that was right after this, huh? Okay. Taxi Driver. Um, and this was... That was right before this. Oh, dang. This came out in 74, so... Okay. I think Taxi Driver was a little bit before this. But, yeah. Um, it's so good. Um, it's about a woman who wants to become a singer. That's, like, her life's dream and goal. Uh, but I think subconsciously, she kind of just wants a, a man who will treat her as an equal in her life, um, a, a good man to like help raise her son. Um, and there's some events that happen in her life that make that very difficult. Uh, she meets lots of people and men are drawn to her, I think um, partly because of her beauty and because of her talent and just she's a witty and funny lady and people really like her. Um, and just things don't seem to be going her way for most of the movie. Um, but then finally, you know, things turn around I guess and it ends happily which again not a super common thing for Scorsese movies or uh, movies from the 70s in general uh, but this it's really great holds a special place in my heart and as much as I like Scorsese and his other works um, obviously I couldn't include Taxi Driver yeah um, but yeah I felt like this needed to be put out there so Alice Sweet. doesn't live here anymore check it out good pick Okay, I'm I'm a little ashamed to say that my last two are maybe a little bit lame. I didn't I kind of just went with ones as I went. So these That's last fine. two aren't like my favorite ones or the best ones. Um definitely like Stalker and House and uh maybe even Mikey and Nikki, but are some of my favorites. 
but these last two are really good. I enjoyed them, and I wanted to include them. They're well-known, so they're not like yours. It's underrated. Everyone knows about these, especially talking about the 70s. Okay, so this one is another great sci-fi. Does the 70s disappoint? 70s sci-fi is pretty good. Um, yeah. There's two here. There's two mm. that I could be talking about. Just kidding. <laughs> That's true. I have one in mind. Um, it's another group of interesting characters on a mission. And that's my last uh, teasing hint. The next one gives it away. So Sweet. Uh, <laughs> all right, in a couple words. Plans, good, evil, misfits, Death Star goes boom. <laughs> Death Star goes boom. I like it. So uh, I knew that was going to be this one. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Star Wars when I rewatched it a couple weeks ago. It goes in the seen but never really watched camp. I was surprised how well I remembered it, though. I feel like it's been so long. I love the originality. There's something so naive and innocent and great about Star Wars, the first, the original. None of this universe-extending, money-grabbing, big studio nonsense. Just cutting-edge technology, bringing us some lovable new characters in a world so vast. And it's a classic hero's journey, but a great execution nonetheless. Sweet. So, I know, of course, you've seen this. Pretty much everyone has seen this movie. Yeah. So popular. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. not even a big Star Wars fan, but kind of just felt like including this one because I just like the original. Yeah. I'm not a big Star Wars fan either. Uh, I'm not one of those, like, super big nerds who <laughs> really hate the prequels and really hate the remake new series or whatever and yeah. all that. Um, exactly. I'm not super into these movies, but... And so I think that gives me a little bit of uh, uh, leeway when I say that I am one of those nerds who likes to call this Star Wars. I don't call it A New Hope or Episode <laughs> 4 or whatever. Like, it, the movie's name is Star Wars. It's always been Star Wars. And they made more movies after this with different names that fit into the series. So that's fine. Like, uh, <laughs> that's just my little yeah. little rant there. But. Uh, soapbox moment no but i think this is my favorite one i think it's the best one uh i liked empire strikes back but i think like you said there's something about the first one yeah it's very simple it's beginning to end it's your hero's journey uh and it's told so well like you can tell the same story as long as you tell it really well and i think lucas had a lot riding on this uh, a lot of people thought that it wasn't going to get made. A lot of people thought that it was going to bomb, and it blew up. And obviously, Bombed it did. <laughs> obviously, it's probably the biggest movie franchise of all time. Yeah. Uh, you have the MCU that's probably made more money, but this has made a more lasting impact over the years. Yeah. It has more cult fans uh, that just adore this movie. I mean, literally anything you can think of, Product-wise, out in the world, you can get it in Star merchandising, Wars. Merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> yeah. Little Spaceballs reference there. Yeah. They've made a, entire parody movies on there's this. There's so much impact uh, in how movies get made, in how, you know, in how the rights to movies work, and the behind-the-scenes financing of movies. George Lucas is kind of a genius when he gave up some of his points on the back end in order for the merchandising rights and the sequel rights. And he, he owned those until, obviously, he sold them in, like, 2012 to Disney. But, yeah, like, it, it was such a smart move because of yeah. all the money that this has made. It's insane. I think it probably, if you went, you know, 
dollar for dollar against the MCU, just with merchandising added in there, I think this has probably made more money. You know, Star Wars. Yeah, that would be as a interesting whole. to compare those. But it's 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 really it's a feat, and I like the story. You know, I like Luke and Han and Leia and Chewbacca and all those guys. So good pick, good pick. Yeah, dude, Star Wars. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I have one more. You have yeah. two. So my second to last one. So give yours, and then I'll do my honorable mentions. Okay. You and the listener know my penchant for horror by now. I've seen a lot of horror films from this decade and a lot of horror in general, uh, at least the more mainstream ones. Uh, So it was hard to pick just one that I would consider the best from the 1970s, but I ultimately settled on this one. It's scary, suspenseful, game-changing. It has gore, a good story, and great mise-en-scene to help create one of the most quote, enjoyable horror experiences. Mm. It has since become extremely iconic and its sequels span multiple decades. It's the one that made its lead actress a star and dubbed her the official Scream Queen, a little, uh, a title many would have given to her mother about 19 years earlier. That actress is Jamie Lee Curtis and the film Mm. is John Carpenter's 1979 classic, Halloween. Nice. Okay. Bro, have you seen Halloween? Do nope. you know I have anything about it? No, I haven't seen it. I feel like I know enough. I know how culturally significant it is. I mean, it's one of the most talked about and well-known, you know, horror movies out there. Uh, I'm probably going to get around to it this uh, October for Halloween season. Do it. I've kind of been saving it for then. Because uh, I've watched a couple other horror movies that I was going to like. The Shining, I watched that in like March. I was, there's some things I've been wanting to watch but i think i'm gonna save halloween so yeah i don't really have a lot to say i uh mm. i'm really excited to watch it it's actually 1978 my oh, bad dude fail i guessed fail. wrong <laughs> anyway yeah yeah take it away cool i think uh similarly with star wars except not to as great of an extent uh it's had quite a big impact uh this was one of the first slasher movies um obviously that spawned Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. and Friday the 13th crazy. was around this time and just dozens and dozens of, you know, iconic and classic um, horror and Halloween tropes that we see nowadays. Um, also, it's one of the best ones. I mean, um, I've done this American cinema project thing over this year um, that I'm still continuing and the first genre that I tackled really headfirst into was horror. This was one of the ones I saw during that time. I probably watched this back in February or January, um, and it really struck me like there's not a lot of horror movies that I consider totally great just as films, Uh, and this is one of them. I think The Shining is up there too. Mm. Um, Just great movies, and I really enjoyed this one, and uh, yeah, it's really great. I think... It has all the elements you could look for in a horror movie, and it does them really, really well. John Carpenter is the man. So. Yeah. No kidding. He had a big run in the late 70s and through the 80s. And through the 80s, man, yeah. with all those escape movies and The Thing. The thing yeah. Yeah. Big, big name in horror and special effects and all those things. Totally. And also, like, the Scream movies were kind of based on this. Like, they're more of a meta, like, comedy Let's joke about the horror tropes, um, but they talk about Halloween a lot and stuff. So um, that was another impact that this this movie had. 
So it's pretty great. Sick. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to do my honorable mentions. You want to do yours too and I after I do mine? And then we oh, can both sure. reveal our number one. Sure. So I'll start and just throw mine out there. So, of course, The Godfather and Taxi Driver are both fantastic. Talked about those. Um, Alien would be up there for me. Uh, mm. That's one of the ones I watched in prep. But uh, I think Star Wars had to beat that out for and Stalker for kind of the sci-fi. Um, I really liked Alien, but I just didn't really love it. I wish I liked it more. But there's so many great things to love about it. It's one of the best movies of the 70s. Uh, the original Rocky, so good. Um, similar to Star Wars, mm. there's kind of nothing that beats that original. I mean, just it's directed by Stallone, written by him, just like kind of just a passion project in a way. And I don't think it was directed by Stallone. You sure? Oh, no, I think the second one was, right? Maybe. This was John G. Avildsen. Yeah, but I know okay. the story behind it is that he wanted to star, and one of the studios that he approached with the script said, no, you can't star in it, you're not a good actor, or whatever, like, Dang. we want a more iconic actor, and he's like, fine, then I'll take it elsewhere, and then whatever studio bought the rights, uh, they let him be the star, and now it's a super iconic, I mean, sequel Oh, yeah. Talk about sequels and impact. Yeah, I mean, was that, like, six movies? If you include the Creed, the two Creed movies, I mean... At least six. I mean, yeah. There were five, so five, probably so seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. Seven or eight, at least. Because I think there's one called Rocky Balboa. That's after number five. Oh. So, I think there's seven, eight. Like, there's just tons, like... Yeah. Yeah, another kinda one of like those... like with Halloween. Yeah, true. Halloween had kind of a reboot, a reheat uh, <laughs> yeah. lately. Yeah. Um, with in 2018, that was actually a good movie, by the way. But yeah, Rocky, I yeah, like the Rocky Creed movie. So good. Creed is Creed's sick. good. Creed's good. Creed two is. It's been a good while too. since I've seen Creed two, but Creed two I remember is... Creed. I really liked Creed. Yeah. So yeah, Rocky. I, I've I've only seen Rocky and Rocky two, so I haven't watched the rest of those. But uh, yeah, Rocky's great. Uh, I know one of your honorable mentions probably Eraserhead. Uh, that's one of mine for sure. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch. I'll let you talk about that one some more because, yeah. Um, just a few more here. The che- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that was another prep one. Uh, that that has to be one of the most disturbing ones I've seen yet. I mean, Eraserhead's pretty messed up. House is pretty disturbing, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pretty disturbing. It's, yeah, it was, I was surprised. And talk about great mise en scène. Yeah, I mean this the set design was amazing and just the the film stock that they used for that and all that like it's very it really reminded me of night of the living dead a lot of the time it's yeah. just very uh small town midwest um low budget type of thing independent filmmaking i mean i don't know where this was from but night of the living dead was from uh around philadelphia so uh hmm. it's in Pen- pennsylvania actually uh i mean this is not sure. in texas but <laughs> oh true yeah it just it's really reminded me of that regardless yeah um, definitely. I really like that movie. Uh, I watched it last summer for the first time and thought mm-hmm. it was great. And we re we rewatched it recently, and yeah, I liked it again too. It's amazing how quick the movie goes. Yeah, it's the pace is that... fast. It's like seventy minutes, and it's just like people's like stuff starts happening really fast. Yeah, yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, this as well is it was one of the ones that set the stage for the slasher True. genre. Um, this probably came a little bit before Halloween, um, but... Yeah, this is from 74, so... And again, sequels, I mean, horror, they do a lot of sequels anyway, but, um, yeah, I thought the first one was really great, and, 
Um, I kind of want to see the second one with Dennis Hopper. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, Barry Lyndon talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I really did like that. Uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. I talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I said that it probably wouldn't be included. Uh, so, I don't know. Anyways, I don't have too much to say at this point, but I liked that one, actually. It was really close to making my list. And then just two more are Trafic and Parade by Jacques Tati. I've had a Jacques Tati on every list, I think. Actually, not on the 50s. He was an honorable, but mm. his work is short but spans three decades, and Trafic was really good. Parade, eh, not as great, but it was... I don't know. Maybe I wasn't really giving everything, but yeah, I think that's it for me. Um, that's all, pretty much everything I've seen besides some short films and a couple other randos, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll head off here. Uh, mean streets. Ooh, yeah. Another Scorsese movie that, uh, didn't hit me as hard the second time around. So didn't decide to include it. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, that obscure object of desire by Luis Buñuel. That's a really great movie. Barely missed the cut, but Dang I put it. something else in front of it. Uh, Eraserhead, like you said, Stalker, like we talked about, and uh, Chinatown. Oh, yeah. That was really, really good movie. Narrowly missed the cut. That was high on prep for me. That is a great movie, and I really want to see that again. Um, Alien, the Muppet movie. Mm. Um, I thought that one was going to make your list, really, because it's one that you didn't talk about around me, and oh, I knew yeah. you'd watched it, and so that was one that I thought you might have included. Nope. Oh, um, dude, these are giving away all of our... Uh, kind of what is. What our number one is going to be. Kind of is. A little bit. Not with me so much. Uh, the Conversation. Another Coppola movie that I really liked. Okay. And Monty Python's Life of Brian and The Holy Grail. Both of those uh, movies. Both of those movies are really great. Really like them. Uh, Harold and Maude, of course. Oh, yeah, Monty there's, Grail. There's tons I could talk about. I like Donkey Skin and Lady Snowblood. Uh, I recently rewatched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Thought it was pretty good. I don't necessarily see all the hype that's attached to it, but whatever. Uh, we got Annie Hall and uh, Grease, which I like until the very end, but whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, um, those are my honorable mentions. Let's take, we'll let you... Okay, well, you definitely probably know what mine is now. At this I point. think I do. Like, once I was <laughs> looking through those movies, I was like, oh, I think I might guess, but... Yeah, we'll yeah, it's all right. It's This one, I don't know why, I, I don't typically save... A lesser favorite for last. I probably should have saved Stalker because that's probably my most favorite out of the ones I chose. But again, not not like a top ranked list or anything like that. So uh, I've actually been really wanting to rewatch this again to see a couple things. So I got a couple reasons for the rewatch. Uh, one is the chemistry between the two characters, their bickering, and well, well, just that the witty dialogue of possible daily quotes. I think there's a lot of really funny lines, very cleverly written and the characters are really witty. Um, and I wasn't uh, fourth wall breaking, animated sequences, subtitle jokes, and playfulness with narrative by putting oneself inside of memories were all characteristics I didn't expect from my first Woody Allen picture. So I'm not, I'm not here to talk about Woody Allen. I, I don't even know anything really about why people don't like him or whatnot, but I think he's a really great filmmaker. And it's another sweet yet crushing movie that goes on my list of complex human relationships. And it shares a bit of DNA with one of my 60s picks, which is Jules and Jim. Um, it's kind of similar in that vein of just the mm. the uh, complex relationships and, you know, love and how things go. 
So I know you've seen this one. What do you think about Annie Hall? I really liked it. Um, our mother said that it was boring or something, and so I was like, well, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> uh, so like I'll see if it's boring or not and I watched it and I was super interested and I laughed yeah. and like, Dude, it, was, I, I, it was so funny it was really good it's one of those that reminded me why old movies are still good like mm. you know you look back oh 70s man that was a long time ago those movies are probably boring or whatever they're not exciting as modern movies are <laughs> but man the jokes hold up uh, the relationship is just as tense and gripping and you know, Diane, Diane Keaton, Keaton is really yeah, great amazing. in it. Woody Allen, I don't know how great of an actor he really is, but he's a great writer, you know, and this was a pretty inventive film, I'd say. So give him props for that. And yeah, it was, it's really endearing. I need to watch it again, uh, get my footing. I want to see Manhattan and some of his yeah, other me too. Purple Rose of Cairo and stuff. But After watching this, I'm really interested. Like I said, with the stuff that he did, I, I wasn't expect. I didn't know what to expect going in and I was pleasantly surprised so yeah righteous sweet okay that's all that's my, my last seven one. well that's my seven yeah true yeah, so good job good Go seven thanks all right so this i did structure mine so that this would be the last one okay uh and and i spent the most time kind of writing this and working it out so uh forgive me if it sounds a little bit pretentious but oh, here we all go right. that's all right okay um it's hard to make films it's even harder to make good films it's harder still to make films that are loved by audiences and critics alike. And it's nearly impossible to make a film worthy of Best Picture, one of the highest and most sought-after achievements in cinema. This film does all of those things and then some. Uh, this director was well-established at the time and had already won several Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, at this time, sequels were unheard of, let alone praised. It's even rarer to make a sequel that's not only great, but possibly better than its predecessor. I'm still grappling with which of the two I like more, but since my rules stipulate that I can't pick a film we've already discussed, I chose this, The Godfather Part 2. Dang. A little bit of rule bending there. 1974. I cheated a bit. Uh, I wanted, oh, that's, that's I, actually... I wanted to include the first one. Curveball. Because I think the first one is a perfect movie. There's nothing, nothing wrong with it, nothing missing from it, nothing that should be taken out. Everything is running on all cylinders. And the sequel, probably say the same. Dang. It's a perfect movie. But I can't decide which I like more. <laughs> this one is significantly longer. It's about three hours and 22 minutes or so. Uh, somewhere in there. Three and a half hours. Uh, I watched this in one sitting uh, a couple weeks ago. Perfect. Watched it one night. And I was surprised that I was able to stick it out through the whole thing. It definitely hit me harder the first time I watched it. Um, several years ago. Um, but as I've, since I've watched it again, I've just wanted to live in that world so badly. Like, I just want to watch it again, or watch the first one, or watch the third one, or read the read books, the, read the book, or I just like I've been watching YouTube videos and listening to discussions about the movie and listening to the music from the movie, and it's really, really, really great and uh, such an experience. Um, it's it's all around perfect. So, Godfather Part 2, I love it. I haven't even logged this on Letterboxd. Dude, you've kept this a good secret. That was yeah. curveball. Yeah. Dang. Um, good movie. I would highly recommend yeah, so I haven't. Watch. Yeah, I haven't seen this one. Uh, of course, I watched the first one for our episode. But yeah, that's... Yeah, this has been on my list. Sweet. That's epic. 
Yeah, well, that, runs, that rounds out my list. There's 14 from the 70s for you. Check out. Cool. And stay tuned. We're going to probably cut this episode off, and we'll record a bonus yeah. um, weekly, or what's entertaining you, Deluxe Plus Premium. Plus our physical media monthly pickups. Yes, sir, we will. Uh, for the month of May, yes. as the month is starting to wind down, we're still a Got another week. About a week or so out. Yeah, week and a half. Which is kind of weird how that worked out. I guess this is a five-week month or whatever. Oh, or... shoot. Oh, that's okay. We'll have a bonus for next week. So That's cool. Another bonus. But... Okay. Anyway, yeah, thanks for listening. If you stuck yeah. it out this far, and again, let us know what movies you like from the 70s. Indeed. Uh, and feedback. No. Bro, have you seen podcast at gmail.com? Yep. That's what it is. Yeah, and of course, all of our episodes are... All over the place. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, and on the website, bro, have you seen podcast.captivate.fm? Yeah, I think it's just bro, have you seen.captivate.fm. Okay, okay. But check it and out. And then uh, I'm on Letterboxd at Barn Clark. And I'm at Everett Clark 236. See you next week, bro. See ya.